Well, this evening, I'm so excited to start this new sermon series in the Old Testament book of Jonah. Um, Jonah, like I just said, is located in what we call the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, which is the majority of the Bible. And it's in this section of books called the Minor Prophets. And, and if you're looking for names to like maybe name your cat or your dog or your children, uh, the Minor Prophets are books like these, like Joel and Amos, pretty normal names, Obadiah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. So, you know, there's, there's some ideas there. These prophetic books were uh, originally known as the Book of the Twelve, since in the days before bound books, they were all in one scroll. They were contained on one big scroll um, known as the Book of the Twelve. And eventually, as technologies emerged that allowed for book binding, the scroll of the Twelve became 12 separate books or miniature books. They're more like short stories um, in, in the scriptures. Now, for those of you of a certain age who remember those things called cassette tapes, think of scrolls like cassette tapes. If you wanted to listen to a song in the middle of the tape, you had to fast forward or rewind because the music was literally stamped into that tape. Uh, but then came the advent of CDs and MP3s when you could just skip right to the song and the section you want. So that, that would be like a book. Like if I want to open to Jonah, oh, I just have these cool little like... Oh, there's Jonah, and it's so easy to get to, and I don't have to unfold a scroll. So once that happened, then Jonah was one of the 12 minor prophets. And actually, they weren't called the minor prophets until St. Augustine uh, started using that phrase in the 4th and 5th century. And he called them the minor prophets, not because they're any less important than the other prophets, but just because they're small. And the major prophets are the big ones, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, those big, long books. So... There you go. That's a little bit of background on the minor prophets. But the story of Jonah is more than just a minor prophet. It is one of the most well-known stories in scripture. In fact, people that don't go to church or synagogue have often heard of the story of Jonah, at least in snippets, at least the big fish part, in, uh, in, in popular culture, in stories, in, in lots of different uh, animated and uh, regular feature films. Um, it's even on the front cover of the Jesus Storybook Bible Coloring Book. There you go. That's how famous it is. Uh, now, when I say the book of Jonah, what, what are some of the things, the images that come to your mind? Just yell them out. Fish. fish. Someone said whale. Wrong. It's a fish. No, I was kidding. Uh, <laughs> that is such a big controversy. People have fought over whether it's a whale or a fish. And let's just, we'll get to that later. So yes, we've got this major beast, this leviathan that eats Jonah, um, doesn't digest him. Anything else in Jonah that's, that just comes to mind? Nineveh. Nineveh and running away. Yeah, those are kind of some of the high points of that story. Um, usually when I ask my kids about this or other people, the first thing that comes to mind is that that's that story where the guy is eaten by the fish and then gets puked onto a beach. I mean, that's kind of the gist of the Jonah story. And in some ways, sadly, our children's Bibles and simplistic preaching over the years that I've encountered, um, they've done us a, a, a disservice because Jonah, which is only four chapters long, is actually one of the most literarily sophisticated books in the Bible. And it is so theologically significant, teaching us 
important lessons about the character of God and particularly about God's compassion and his mercy and his love. And that is why I am so excited to be sharing this with you because I could use some more compassion, mercy, and love in my life. How about you? I see some nods. Can I get an amen? Amen. Yes. Okay, so in order to get the most out of the book of Jonah, I'm going to take my time, as I often do, uh, walking through this book over the next several weeks, even though it's only four chapters, we're going to get through it in longer than four weeks. Um, and, and I'm doing that to help us like get to some of the nuances and insights of the book, but I also want to do it for another reason. I also want to take our time so that the good news of, of Jonah... Uh, of what's contained in the book of Jonah has time to seep into our hearts and to maybe change us and to maybe make us more whole. Now, as we go through the book of Jonah, I am not going to do this every week. I am not going to read the whole book every Sunday. I suggest you do, though. Between each Sunday and the next Sunday that I'm going through this series, it would help you to just read it in one setting, just one time a week. And if you want to, this might sweeten the pot, as you make observations or have questions, feel free to email me and I'll see if I can work them into my message. And if I can't, maybe we'll find a time uh, after the series is over to address some of them. How's that sound? Okay. Um, As I read the story, I want you to pay particular attention to three concepts or, or words. One word is the word arise. It could also be in uh, go up or upward motions, okay? So you're going to pay, pay attention to words or phrases that go up. Pay attention to words or phrases that go down. And pay attention to the word great. Okay, so there's three things to consider as I'm reading through this story. Let me tell you a story. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying... Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa and found a ship which was going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it, down into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea and there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid and every man cried to his God and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold and he lain down and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you're sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us and we won't perish. Now each man said to his mate, come, let us cast lots so that we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us now on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you from? And he said, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became 
terribly frightened. And they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. So they said to him, what should we do that this sea may become calm for us? Because the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he said to them, pick me up, throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on my account, on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However, the men desperately tried to return to land, but they could not. For the sea was becoming even stronger against them. And then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. And do not put innocent blood on us. O Lord, have you have done as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah and they threw him into the sea. And the sea stopped raging. And the men feared the Lord greatly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. And he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord and he answered me. I cried for help from the depths of Sheol, and you heard my voice. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So then I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains, and the earth with its bars were all around me. But you brought me up from the pit, O Lord, my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who are vain, uh, regard vain idols forsake your, their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with thanksgiving. That which I have vowed I will pay, salvation is from the Lord. Well then, the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited up Jonah onto the dry land. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm going to tell you. And so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. And then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Well, then the people of Nineveh believed in God. And they called for a fast and put on sackcloth and from the greatest to the least of them. And when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid beside his robe from him, covered himself in sackcloth, sat in ashes and issued a proclamation. This is what he said, in Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water, 
But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. And let men call on God earnestly, that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? Maybe God will turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we won't perish. When when God saw their deeds, that they turned away from their wicked way, he relented in the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them. And he didn't do it. (laughs) But it greatly displeased Jonah. And he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, was this not what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God. I knew that you were slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and one who relents according to calamity, concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please just kill me. Death is better than me uh, to life than me. And the Lord said to Jonah, do you have a good reason to be angry? Now Jonah went out from the city, sat in the east of it, And there he made a shelter, and he sat under that shelter in the shade until he could see what would happen to the city. And so the Lord Lord appointed a plant that grew up over Jonah to be his shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God then appointed a worm at dawn, and, and, and it attacked the plant, and the plant withered, and the sun came up, and God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint. And once again, he begged with his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, do you have a good reason to be angry about the plant? And then he said, I have good reason. I have good reason to be angry, even to death. And then the Lord said, you know, you had compassion on the plant for which you didn't work, which you didn't cause to grow. It came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 people who don't even know the difference between their right and their left, as well as many animals. And that's how the story ends. Lord, thank you for this word as preserved to us, not just by the Hebrew scriptures, but by your followers filled with the Holy Spirit who knew in their wisdom that this book matters for what it has to teach us about you. Lord, I pray as we explore this glorious story that we would encounter you and know you more deeply. Amen. Well, now that we've sort of experienced the whole story in one go, tonight we're just going to focus on the first three verses. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it for their wickedness has come before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, 
found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and then he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. This book begins like a normal prophetic book. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. This is standard prophetic stuff. Most prophetic books start this way or in a way that's basically identical. Most biblical prophets are not priests or clergy or trained in seminary. They're not professional religious people. Most prophets are regular people who the word of the Lord comes to and it, and it makes a demand on their lives. And in this story, we learn that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Scholars are nearly unanimous in linking this Jonah and the story to the son of jo uh, to the same Jonah, the son of Amittai, uh, which uh, prophesied to King Jeroboam II in uh, roughly 787 BC to 747 BC. And you could check out that reference uh, in 2 Kings chapter 14. Now, one major difference from uh, Jonah as a prophecy compared to the other prophetic books is that it's not a prophecy necessarily to Israel. At least the text in the story isn't a prophecy to Israel. In fact, if there's any prophetic word in the story, it's the word of God through Jonah to Nineveh the enemy of, uh, of Israel. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, one of the cruelest civilizations uh, known in history. Uh, the Assyrians devised all sorts of terrible ways to torture and humiliate and terrorize their enemies. And for decades, the Israelites were the recipients of Assyrian cruelty. Now, for those of you who like that kind of thing, we'll get more into that in the weeks to come, but uh, we'll save the gore for now. Um, but more than that, um, let me just point out a major clue to us hiding in plain sight. And that unlike the other prophetic books in which the, the text contains the word of God through the prophet addressed to the people of Israel, this book is unique and one of a kind because it's not directly addressed to anybody. In fact, the author's anonymous. It reads a lot more like the book of Job, a, a narrative dialogue between God and a prophet rather than the, the word of God to Israel. But here's the clue. The book of Jonah is part of the Hebrew scriptures. That means Jewish people read it. And it's part of the, the Christian Bible as well, which means that followers of Jesus read it and read it as scripture, as authoritative. And what this means is that while the details in the story may not contain a word of prophecy to the followers of God, apparently, apparently the story as a whole is addressed to Israel and it is a word to the followers of Jesus. That's you and me. So what word might this beginning section of the story have for you and have for me today? Well, we know that Jonah was a prophet, which means that at least to some degree, he was a follower of God. And well, at least he was a follower of God when it suited him. But this command to go declare the word of God to Israel's hated enemies was too much for him. God told Jonah to arise to head east toward Nineveh in Assyria. 
But he arose, went down to this port city called Joppa, uh, and then he didn't only head in the opposite direction, but Jonah boarded a ship to this place called Tarshish, which is located in modern-day Spain near Gibraltar. So you can see on this map that where Jerusalem and Joppa is, it's about 550 miles to Nineveh. It's 2,500 miles to Tarshish, where he was heading. Jonah was running strong, running far. Now, the main reason Jonah likely chose Tarshish is not because merely it was just really far away. Uh, you have to realize that to Israelites in this, in this time, in the 8th century BC, Tarshish was the furthest known western place you could go to. They thought it was the end of the world. So it is far physically. But more importantly, it was so far removed from the temple in Jerusalem that Jonah had a 99.9% .9 chance that he would never meet anyone there who was a follower of Yahweh. Jonah's resisting God. He's going to a place where he won't be reminded of God. No one is going to strike up a conversation with him in Tarshish about, hey, what are your Passover plans? You're going to the in-laws house? You're going to your, you know, no one's going to strike up that conversation with him. No one is going to um, ask him to carpool to worship at the temple or the synagogue. He isn't going to be invited to read scripture by the rabbi. There won't be any Sabbath observance in Tarshish. Jonah figures that he can get far enough away from all the people and things that remind him of God that he then has a chance to restart his life without being troubled by God at all. Jonah's trouble is that he really doesn't want to accept who God really is. Jonah sounds like the kind of prophet who likes a neat and tidy God who plays by certain rules, who rewards good behavior and punishes bad behavior almost as a formula, a God who frowns on sinners and rewards those who are religious and part of the right group and the right country and the right expression of religion. And when God begins showing compassion on people who don't deserve it in Jonah's eyes, his whole conception of God is rocked. He's deconstructing, if you want to put it in modern terms, and he's running away. We all, we all resist God. I resist God in our own ways, in my own way. Now, obviously, you're here in a Christian church knowing that you were going to hear a sermon out of the Christian scriptures. So, you know, you're like, I'm not resisting. I'm at church, dude. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> But deep down, deep down, there are always ways that we head away from God. Because I suspect, I suspect that we all struggle with accepting how much God really loves us. How much God really loves our neighbors. Yeah, even those neighbors. Yeah, even those people that vote that way. Yeah, even those people who think that way. And we struggle that God might really love our community that much and the people outside our community. Deep down, it is this intense 
fiery intimacy of God's love that is terrifying to behold. It's so beautiful and so good. And we've believed the lies of our world that if we didn't earn it, that we can't receive it. If we didn't perform well enough, then we're not worthy to receive it. And so we hide, we run to our Tarshish of busyness and distraction, numbing our senses with alcohol or entertainment or overwork, keeping our lives so full with things that we can't fill them with the intimacy of God. Earlier today, we heard the scripture reading from John 3, 16 through 21. Most of us are real familiar with that first part, for God so loved the world. But the second part of the passage says, this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and people loved darkness more than the light. Sometimes we feel more comfortable Sometimes I feel more comfortable wallowing in our darkness and our self-condemnation in our own barriers and distance from God because we fear what it might feel like to truly be exposed, to truly be laid bare and loved by God. And the good news of this passage is that just as God sent Jonah to proclaim salvation to Israel's horrible oppressors, so God has come personally in the person of Jesus to reach you and me in our darkness. Jesus has come into the world not to judge it, but to save it. To pursue us in our Tarshish to our habits and places of resistance to God's love. Jesus has come to break down the barriers that we might know the love of the Father through the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. As we prepare for communion, I would like to lead us into um, some guided silent prayer. So I want to encourage you um, to close your eyes if that helps you be still. And I've got just three sections. So listen for my voice and in the in-between time, maybe consider the prompt. Holy Spirit, by your grace, reveal how I have been resisting the life and love of God in my life. Holy Spirit, by your grace, how might, you, how might you be inviting me to open myself up to the love of God in my life? What needs to change in me or in my habit?
And Holy Spirit, by your grace, grant me and my family here courage and power to open ourselves up to your invitation, to open ourselves up to you. Amen.